Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. Fifteen, Captain Dunkirk and the Peking. It had been a matter of months now that Max and Ian had been in 1912. They'd arrived on January 10th. It was now March 22nd. Spring in that year had apparently been a flirt. The air would warm to a sunny 70 degrees, as it had been on the previous day with Michelle in the park, only to fall again into frosty old habits the very next day. But Max was no closer to succeeding in his daily lessons with Dr. Gustav than he had been when he had first arrived. The temptation to start using the Amphalos bracelet again was powerful, but Gustav was adamant. Max was not to touch it. He would not succeed in breaking himself of his reliance on it if he kept picking it up. So regretfully, Max persevered without it. One of the exercises Gustav had tasked him with was the use of a mandala, a colorful and intricately decorated circular design. Simbaba had several of these he'd brought with him from Tibet. Each was a dazzle of red and yellow, greens and golds, with squares inside of circles inside of squares, adorned with little people and animals. Max was supposed to concentrate on his mandala and memorize each portion of it exactly. He was then to close his eyes and imagine the mandala, reconstructing it in his mind's eye with the same level of detail as the real thing. He realized he was essentially weightlifting with his awareness. When he could see the mandala in his head in vivid detail, the strength of his awareness would have grown significantly. According to Gustav, this was the first step to being able to whoosh without the bracelet, among other things. But Max wasn't getting it. He knew he wasn't. Other things took up his head at the same time as the mandala. Sababa confessed it had been years before he was personally able to do it. But Max knew they didn't have years. They had weeks, maybe days. In the morning of March 22nd, Max and Ian both lay awake, unable to sleep. Max had picked up his mandala and begun his exercises. He kept at it for a few moments, and then suddenly, I ran into young Max yesterday. Ian shot bolt upright. What? And you didn't tell me? Max nodded. Yeah, it was weird. I wanted to sort of digest it first, I guess. I'm sorry. Ian nodded in understanding. So, what happened? It was when I was with Michelle. Madworth showed up. She was after Petunia, and I was chasing her. I mean, the other me, the younger me, whoever the hell. Ian nodded, laughing. Anyway, something else happened. Something I haven't told any of the others about. A man showed up, some, like, African guy. He was trying to kill the young me. He said I was helping with the machine, and he had to stop me. Ian blinked in surprise. That's odd. Max smiled wryly. Yeah, maybe he thinks because I'm Newberian, I'm automatically on their side. Anyway, there's more. I actually remembered this guy when I saw him. You know, like how I remembered Siren when I first met him. His name popped into my head. Marvin Sparkle. I think he was... Marvin Sparkle? Ian exploded. Yeah, why? Ian shook his head. Max, Romani knows him. That was who she was meeting when she dragged me to the train station. Max, I met him. Big bloody bastard, right? Max sat up straight, nodding. Oh yeah, that's him, all right. Why, what happened with Romani? Nothing much, Ian replied. 
He got off the train from Boston. He was tracking someone, he said. A Nuberian helping with the machine. One, he said, would complete it. Romani invited him to stay with us, but he said no. He liked working alone, he said. Max sighed. You know, he might be working for the Nuberians. He denied it when I confronted him, of course. But I'm not sure I'd buy it. Why? Ian asked. Max hung his head. The Nuberians are threatened by me. They think I have the power to stop the machine. Something to do with my secret. And maybe Marvin Sparkle is their hitman. The guy they send out to do in anyone who threatens them. He's been hunting my younger self. Maybe he's just pretending to be friends with Romani, see what she knows. Did he ask her about me? Ian shook his head. No, but what happened to your younger self in Petunia? Did Madworth grab them? Max shook his head. I don't know. I had my hands full with Sparkle. I never found out. Ian nodded, his intuition leaping. Ah, so you're thinking we should find out. Max smiled. Yep. Do you think young Max knows anything about your secret? Max shrugged. Well, if it is a secret power, then no. I didn't exactly look very powerful. Marvin Sparkle would have slipped me open on the spot if I hadn't showed up. I mean, you know what I mean. But I do think my younger self may have had a clue or two that we don't. He knows more about what's going on here. I just, I feel it. But I don't like the fact that you keep making yourself forget about this secret over and over again, Ian replied. You're scared of it. It's dangerous. Whatever it is, you keep wiping it from your mind. And you must have a very good reason for doing that. I know, but I can't let them succeed with the machine. That secret may be what we need to stop them. They're scared of it also. I kind of like it for that reason alone. He tossed his mandala across the room in frustration. And this stupid thing certainly isn't helping. Ian shook his head. See, that's what keeps bothering me also. What? Well, history has no record of the machine. And history can't be changed. So we succeed, Max said. They fail. We stop them. It's the only explanation. Ian, that's a good thing. I guess, Ian said, baffled at his own misgivings. So, any ideas of where to start looking for, for you? Max nodded. Yeah, I have a thought about that. Petunia said that she and I used to play on the docks of New York Harbor, in the days when the city itself was young and clean and marvelous. Meaning 1912, at least I hope. So we go to the docks, Ian said. Max nodded. Exactly. The city sparkled as it rolled by the carriage. Max and Ian, both dressed as gentlemen in the black suit, coat, and top hat uniform of the day, watched as they were carried down Broadway towards the docks of Lower Manhattan. Max kept readjusting his top hat, which sat on top of his long brown locks uncomfortably like it didn't belong on hair of this length. Romani had insisted that they go in this style. It was the first time she had given her blessing to Max and Ian to leave the house on their own. She'd been reluctant especially after Max had snuck out with Michelle only the previous day. But when Romani realized Max and Ian were going with or without her approval, she immediately took steps to make them safer. Traveling as two wealthy young men in an open-air carriage shielded them from the watchful eyes of the city as much as possible. Romani had paid for everything and given them pocket money to boot. Petunia was right, Max thought to himself. The New York of this time was clean and magnificent. It had yet to become choked with congestion, ads, pollution, noise, and industry. Max noted that there were a lot less people. The streets were wide and seemed open, uncluttered. 
there was a gentle quiet to the city of this time. The only noise was the clop-clop of the horses in front of them and the other carriages, that and the footsteps of the people on the sidewalks. Nobody yelled, honked, whistled, or screamed. Nobody had a boombox. Instead, they all comported themselves in a dignified manner, strolling, not walking, speaking, not talking, elucidating calmly, not gibbering. The manic energy of the future had yet to come. Max was still contemplating the city when Ian nudged him and pointed into a window above the street. A man had just taken a picture of the street below. He was only now changing the plate. With a start, Max realized it had been the very picture Ian had shown the two of them back in Starland in their own time. So, Max thought, we finally arrived at this moment. In a little more than half an hour, they caught their first sight of the ship's harbor in the docks. The cold dread in Max's stomach roared to life again. He felt a stab of recognition. This place held latent emotions for him, happy emotions. He knew it right away, and it terrified him. His eyes were drawn immediately to yellow spars, dancing between the rooftops and alleys and glimpses. That ship, he thought, a dim memory like deja vu stirring. That's the one. Faster than Max would have liked, the carriage pulled up to the South Street seaport and stopped. His knees were weak as he stepped from the carriage and Ian paid the driver. Max gaped at a sight that yawned in front of him, beckoning him and repulsing him at once. He could see the entire ship now. It was magnificent. The golden yellow masts were four stories tall. The clean wood planking of the deck bustled with activity. The deep brown hull of steel rested comfortably in the water. A merchant vessel, his mind recited, powered only by the winds. The carriage pulled away and Ian was suddenly at his side, studying him. You see something you recognize, don't you? He said. Max nodded. You've got that look again. What look? The same one you had at that house in Texas. Max nodded. Don't worry. If you nam-shove this place also, I'll wrestle you to the ground. That is, if you don't whoosh off faster than I can follow. Ian eyed Max suspiciously. You're not wearing that bloody bracelet right now, are you? Max shook his head. No. Gustav's outlawed it. Well, that's something anyway. Come on, let's go see what we came here to see. Numbly, Max followed Ian down the stairs to the docks below. Laborers working the ropes and loading cargo glanced at them with a twang of jealousy. Two dapper young men, sons of wealth, no doubt. They were down here at leisure, or perhaps attending to the business of their fathers. But the effect of their clothing was exactly as Romani had intended. No one would attack them or give them a hard time. Sons of privilege were simply not messed with. The name of the ship suddenly popped into Max's mind. The Peking. It was new in this time, only finished in 1911. 1911? If his memory was true. But he was suddenly sure. The smell of fish from the nearby Fulton Fish Market. The Brooklyn Bridge looming in the background of the Peking. They were all hauntingly familiar. A man on the deck called out to Max. Ho there, he hollered. Can I be of service, young masters? It jolted Max to life with a thrill. That voice, he knew this man. Max called out, his heart yammering. Yes, can, can we have a word with you, sir? The man waved back and made his way down to the gangplank at the front of the ship. What are you doing? Ian hissed at Max. Ian hissed at Max. I thought we were just going to have a look around first. 
But I remember him, Max replied, feeling more excited than scared. He knows me. I mean, the little me and Petunia. I'm sure of it. Ian nodded, but now he suddenly looked like the one afraid. The man approached. He was broad and strong, with dark hair, and a thick beard rattled with gray streaks. He looked Irish. They could see immediately that his hands were heavily calloused from working the lines. The name's Dunkirk. Jonas Dunkirk. Ian Keating, Ian said quickly. And this is David. David, Jonas repeated. Yes, Max answered. Then, before he knew what he was doing, he said, David Quick. Ian looked at him in alarm. Flibber and the Pinkertons were trying to kill someone named Quick. Not to mention Marvin Sparkle. If Jonas turned out to be a bad guy. Jonas Dunkirk looked at Max with a curious expression. David Quick? Yes, Max answered awkwardly. We're looking for someone, Ian continued. A boy and a girl. Actually, two someones. The kid's about 12 years old. He paused and considered for a moment, knowing the danger that using the full name might entail. Max nodded, giving mute permission. This is why they were here. They'd simply have to chance it. Max Quick and, and Petunia Cole, Ian finished. Ah, Dunkirk said with some reserved. He considered it for a moment and then said, Know him well. Those two Litlins is usually always about here. You'd be his brother then. Max nodded mutely. Dunkirk was becoming more and more familiar with each passing second. The mannerisms of the man, the turn of the phrase. Yes, he had known this man well. Dunkirk laughed and looked at Max shrewdly. Never would have guessed he'd come from such a well-heeled family. Then Dunkirk looked suddenly scared. Ah, but I mean no offense, of course. Max waved it off with a smile. He felt completely at ease in Dunkirk's presence. None taken, Captain Dunkirk. Captain, Dunkirk said with an odd twinkle in his eye. How do you know? I never told you this was my ship. Oh, well, Max said, trying to cover his slip. You just seem in charge, is all. Hmm, Dunkirk replied. Well, I am at that. So, Ian continued, pressing the subject. We're anxious to find these two. Can you tell us where they are? Dunkirk weighed the situation for a moment. You know, you two seem like nice enough gentlemen. But I would be remiss if I didn't know a bit more. Those two kidlins are a good sort, and I'd call them my friends, though they'd be only the size of a pint. Here, come walk with me. Let me know a little bit more to ease my mind, and we'll see what's what. Ian looked at Max. Max studied Dunkirk. He knows we're not telling the whole truth, he thought. I understand, Captain, Max replied. We'll answer as best we can. Dunkirk walked back down the dock and started leading them up the gangplank of the Peking. Beautiful ship, Max remarked as they boarded. Aye, she is, Dunkirk replied, his eyes glazing suddenly. Built in Hamburg. The last of the line of wind sailing ships, I figure it. And the new ones, they have motors and engines and such. While the Titanic herself is set to sail to this very harbor in a month. And that is the wave of the future, sure. Don't count on it, Ian muttered under his breath. Max shot him a cautious elbow. They went below deck, and Dunkirk invited them into his cramped but cozy quarters near the stern of the ship. Immediately, Max felt completely at home. He knew this place. He'd spent hours in here. It was a place of safety, of warmth, like the Isle of the Dreamtime had been. Dunkirk went into the bar and poured himself a whiskey. Drink? Max and Ian both shook their heads. 
Romani would skin them if they came back with whiskey on their breaths. Dunkirk nodded and swilled his down. Now, he said, I certainly do not want any trouble. It's the last thing I need, that's for sure. But to be upfront and honest with you, something about your story don't quite hang true. And I mean to have the truth before I go and give on my two little friends. My intention is not to be difficult or prevent you from helping them, as I think your intentions may be. Is that right? Max nodded. Yes, we are here to help them. And to see if they can help us, Max thought. Dunkirk nodded warily. Max didn't enjoy lying to him. Deep in his gut, Max knew this was a man worthy of his trust. But then another thought occurred to him. Was it possible that Dunkirk already knew the truth? Had his younger self confided in him? Dunkirk spoke. I, I have a good eye for a good heart, but I do need the truth from you, and I'll know it when I hear it. Ian gave Max a look that said, up to you. Max stared at Dunkirk. He was a good man, but not one to believe a story as outrageous as the one Max would tell him if he were being completely forthright. No, his heart said that Dunkirk did not know the truth. Not all of it, anyway. Bits and pieces, perhaps, but that was all. This is difficult, Max said finally. I could tell you a story, one that would strain your opinion of us as sane, I'm afraid, but it would be the truth, and for that reason, I'm very hesitant to tell it. So, I will ask you not to press me on this point. However, it is beyond imperative that we find Max and Petunia. You can't imagine how important this is. Dunkirk nodded slowly, eyes two slits in the muted daylight of the cabin. That's what you just said. Those are the truest words you've told me today. And where Max is concerned, nothing would surprise me, is all I'll say about that. If you know him, you know why. He's a very strange little boy, sure. No boy is like him. But I'll come right to it. Here's what bothers me more than most. You say your name is Quick, when I know that can't be so. You've given me a false name, and that I cannot let go. Max's heart started at that. Dunkirk said nothing more, seeing where Max would go with this new tidbit. Why does he think I'm not named Quick? That was odd. Max pondered. What should he tell Dunkirk? What could he tell him? Uh, I'll admit, I've not been truthful with the name I've given you. I have good reasons. But I'm wondering, how did you know? Max finally asked. Dunkirk laughed. <laughs> well, maybe your first name's David. More than likely, it's not. But there is no family quick. They don't exist. Max's heart skipped a beat. Did Dunkirk know his Newberian name? Was that possible? But when Dunkirk finally spoke his piece, the world seemed to shatter around him. <laughs> and I know this because I was the one who named the boy Max Quick. Max's heart turned into a jackhammer inside of his chest, and even Ian gasped aloud. Dunkirk was mightily pleased with the shock effect of this revelation. He laughed with a meaty guffaw that only sailors could cough out of their salt-coated lungs. So, <laughs> that was news to you, eh? The captain stared at Max and Ian for a full minute, and then softened. He leaned back and said, When I was a young lad his age, I was on my first tour with a ship like this one. My old captain used to throw things at me while I worked on the decks to try to make me work harder and faster. Maximum efficiency with maximum quickness. He'd always be shouting, 
and he pegged me with shims and whale's teeth. Day and night, maximum efficiency with maximum quickness. I'd be in my hammock, swilling in the dark, and I'd hear him in my brain with the clang of ropes on the yards. Ho there, Dunkirk, maximum efficiency with maximum quickness. Aye, sir, I know, sir. It got so as I'd finish it for him nearly every time. The captain was quite rather pleased with that, and some of the lads on the crew just started yelling out, maximum quickness, whenever I entered the room, and started laughing. I hated that, and so coarse as it is with any group of gents, it got shortened, and the very thing I hated became my nickname, Max Quick. As things turned out, I sailed under that name for years, until I became a captain myself. And then I had to be respectable like. My real name was on the charters now, it wouldn't do to go by a different one. Captain Jonas Dunkirk, I was. Max Quick, sadly, was no more. But a boy came to me in Hamburg. A boy who desperately needed to get to America. And when we arrived at this very dock, he needed a different name. So as I let him have my old one. I wasn't using it no more. Figure, why let it go to waste? Dunkirk roared again as if this were the funniest thing ever. Max stared at him. So this man, right here in front of him, had named him. It was almost impossible to believe. Max Quick. His very own name, the one he had come to know himself by, was first uttered in his presence by Jonas Dunkirk, a man who had once himself gone by the name Max Quick. So now, Dunkirk said, leaning forward with a new intensity, you know for sure that I know you're lying to me, so why don't we start with your real name. Max gulped. Ian looked semi-panicked. But before they could react, a bolt slid into place on either side of the cabin door. Instantly, Ian leapt for the door handle and tried to open it, but it was locked firmly shut. Dunkirk must have given some subtle signal to his men, and they had slid the bolt into place from the other side. He and Max were trapped. Dunkirk merely smiled and poured himself another whiskey. What the bloody hell do you think you're doing? Ian shouted at him. Open that door right now, or we will set the law on you. You're on my ship, young master, Dunkirk replied calmly. And on my ship, I am the only law that matters. Ian sat down again, glaring at the captain. He and Max glanced at one another, both feeling ever more ridiculous in their gentleman outfits. Their top hats rested pathetically in their laps. The tables had neatly been turned on the young, quote, sons of industry. Dunkirk downed his whiskey and laughed at their expressions. Oh, it's not as bad as all that. I only mean to have the truth from ye. Max exhaled and steeled himself. All right, Dunkirk, you've left me with no other choice. He took a deep breath, knowing full well how his next words were going to sound in Dunkirk's ears. I am Max Quick. Dunkirk's eyes went wide with surprise. Then he laughed with a guttural intensity that made him look like he had just gone into spasms. <laughs> oh, that's rich. <laughs> And I'm the flying Dutchman. <laughs> Tears streamed down Dunkirk's cheeks, but Max continued with as serious a face as he could muster. I am the same boy that you were friends with, only from the future, years from now. Dunkirk finally stopped laughing. If you're the boy, then why are you so tall? Max didn't understand, but Ian nudged him and said, 
The idea of time travel wasn't that commonplace in 1912. Not like it is to us. The people here, they don't even get what it is. H.G. Wells had to spend over 30 pages just explaining the concept in the time machine. Max nodded and turned to Dunkirk. Look, years from now, Max, your friend, will grow up and become me. Then he will find a way to go back in time, to, to, to travel back to yesterday. Like going from one place to another, except he'll go from one year to another. To this time, to 1912. When he does that, there will be two Maxes in 1912. The first one, who's already there, I mean here, you know, the boy. And the second one, who is older, the one from tomorrow. That's me. Dunkirk nodded warily. He seemed to be tracking the concept now, at least. There was more intelligence in his mind than he'd let on. I will admit, you do look a lot like him. But there's some bad sorts chasing him, trying to do him in. You can't be too careful. And if you're him, you'll know that. Max nodded, thinking suddenly of Marvin Sparkle. I do, but there's another thing. I've lost my memory. I don't know what my younger self knows. That's why I'm trying to find him. Me. Whoever. Dunkirk squinted coldly at Max for a good moment, measuring him. And then, without warning, Dunkirk lunged across the room and grabbed Max by the throat. Ian froze for a moment in surprise. It had happened so fast, he didn't even react at first. Dunkirk is a Pinkerton, Ian's brain roared. Marvin Sparkle got here first. But then, filled with anger, Ian leapt onto Dunkirk's broad back and wrapped his arms around his neck, trying to choke him. He felt the man's bristled neck, his ropey veins bulging all around it. But Dunkirk continued throttling Max, indifferent to Ian. A scrawny kid on his back was nothing to a strong seaman like him. With one hand, he held Max, writhing, by the neck. And with the other, he ripped Max's vest and shirt open with a sudden tear, exposing Max's chest and stomach. Dunkirk inexplicably stopped cold and stepped back away from Max, eyes wide. Without taking his eyes off of Max, Dunkirk pulled Ian's arms off his neck. Ian backed up and was about to attack Dunkirk again, but Max motioned for him to stop. Ian looked down. There, on Max's chest and stomach, was a thin white scar running from his left ribcage across his belly. It can't be, Dunkirk breathed, dropping back into his chair. But it is. I know that scar. Every inch of it. As I should. I was the one who stitched it up. I stitched... You up? He looked up and met Max's eyes. It is you, young master. I don't know what to say. Max sat up and buttoned what remained of his shirt. Dunkirk poured himself another drink and looked up sheepishly. Sorry, I've got to pack my beak after that shocker. He downed the whiskey and then stood, hand out to Max. You're Max Quick, all right. I can't see how, but you are. I'll doubt you no more. Max took his hand and shook it. Pleasure to meet you. Again. Likewise, Dunkirk mumbled, still in shock. Now that that's over with, Ian said irritably, are we still prisoners? Dunkirk laughed. Of course not. He raised his fingers to his mouth and whistled shrilly. Ian heard the bolt slide back on the other side of the door. Thank you, Ian said, nodding to Dunkirk. By the seven seas, Dunkirk said, staring down at Max's scar again. That is the most amazing thing I have ever seen in my life. Captain Dunkirk, listen. Do you know where the other Max and Petunia are? 
Ian asked. Dunkirk met his eyes and sighed. No, don't, I'm sorry to say. They haven't been here for several weeks. They're usually always around the docks, but not lately. They've gone missing. I've looked for them all over, but had no luck. A flash of fear in Dunkirk's eyes said that he was worried. Max's heart jumped. Could they have been abducted by the Nuberians? When Madworth had been chasing Petunia. But if they'd been caught, the Nuberians surely would have killed the young Max quick. He wouldn't exist now, so that couldn't be right. For that matter, the same went for Petunia. Max had met her as an old woman. So whatever was happening to them right now, it wasn't fatal. Max turned to Dunkirk and switched tacks. Okay, we'll come back to that. In the meantime, maybe there's something you know. Things my younger self might have told you. For instance, do you know why I came to America in the first place? Dunkirk nodded and smiled, glad to have something less worrisome to discuss. Oh, sure! See, when I found ye, you were in pretty bad shape. You're bleeding to death in the streets of Hamburg. Dunkirk's eyes drifted into space as he recalled the scene. It was raining something fierce that night, and your blood ran down the gutter and all. Turned the Russian rainwater red. Well, I didn't know who he was, but I couldn't just leave you there like that. So one of my men and me, we picked you up and brought you back to the Peking. Any clue how he got that way? Ian asked. Dunkirk shook his head. None at all. We'd have been drinking. I nearly tripped over him on the way home. That's really all I know. Wait a minute, Ian shouted suddenly having a revelation. Oh, wait just a minute. Did you say Hamburg? Like as in Germany, Hamburg? Dunkirk nodded. It was Sparkle, Ian said to Max. Marvin bloody Sparkle did that to you. When Romani met with them at the train station, he said he tracked a Nuberian here in New York after almost killing him in Hamburg. Bloody hell, it was him. Suddenly, Max recalled the hooked surgical blade. A jab-cut vision blinded him for a split second. Marvin Sparkle, slicing his belly open in the rain. Max shivered and shook it off, beginning to sweat. Anyway, the captain continued, we get him back to the ship. I half figure he's going to die, he's lost so much blood. But I get him up on the table and try to save him. I'm half snogged at the time, mind you, but somehow I managed to stitch him up. You didn't answer my question, Max said gently. Oh, right, Dunkirk replied. I was getting to it. Well, you slept for several weeks pretty much straight while you healed. And when you came around, we had several long talks in you and me. I tried to find out exactly who you were. You know, who your parents were. If they were looking for you. But it became clear before too long that you didn't know. And a little while after that, it was even clearer you weren't going to remember. Yep, sounds like you all right, Ian whispered to Max. Always forgetting the important stuff. Shh, Max said. Go on. But you did have one idea you were on about. When you found out the Peking was bound for the United States, you begged me to take you. You needed to get to New York, you said. It was important, urgent. There was a... You said a machine. Something someone was building. You never told me what this machine was for or what it did. Just that it was something bad, very bad, and you had to stop it. Max's eyes bugged out of his head. He had originally come to America to stop the machine. First, I thought you was a loon, Dunkirk confessed. But over time, I learned to think better. But you never told me everything. Even as a youngin, you weren't entirely forthright with me. Dunkirk's eyes betrayed a hint of hurt that Max had never fully trusted him. Max nodded and then answered the unspoken question. 
It's pretty unbelievable, Dunkirk. That's why I didn't tell you. You could have told me, Dunkirk replied quietly. Max nodded. You're right. I should have. But I was just a kid. I was probably afraid I'd lose the only friend I had in the world at the time. You. Dunkirk's eyes filled with water for a moment. Then he seemed to pull the tears back into his head. I still don't know exactly what the machine does, Max said. And that's why I'm here now. I'm trying to find out. Stop it if I can. My younger self might have known what it was for, but I don't. But I do know the people who are making it. And they're up to something pretty nasty. You can be sure of that. Captain Dunkirk, Max continued with a pained expression. Jonas, I have so many other questions. And you probably don't have the answers, but I have to ask you anyway. Dunkirk nodded in understanding. Max drew a deep breath. Do you know who my parents were? I mean, did I ever tell you anything about them at all? Dunkirk laughed softly. <laughs> Your littler self used to obsess about that, you know. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised you'd ask me that. But in this case, young master, I may actually have something useful for you. His eyes glinted. Max's heart leapt with hope. Dunkirk pulled a small box out of a drawer. You said you'd found an important clue. I don't know how, exactly. Not long after we arrived here in New York. That was about a year ago. You left it with me to hang on to for safekeeping. Dunkirk rummaged around and produced the paper and handed it to Max. Here, this is it. Max unfolded the paper and immediately recognized his own handwriting. The paper said, Location of Mother, Miss Starry, Living on an Estate, Remote in Seclusion, 1138 Greensward Way, Westchester, Connecticut. Max's hand shook. His mother? Could it be true? Alive? Living here in 1912? That was amazing. His mother was Niberian, so it was possible. She could have lived long enough. But what did it mean? Why was she here on Earth? His mind flooded with questions. This one piece of paper raised a multitude for the one it seemed to answer. Now don't go getting all overexcited, Dunkirk said, eyeing Max's reaction. Max wordlessly handed the paper to Ian. Bloody hell, Ian whispered. I, I don't believe it, Max finally panted. Miss Starry, Ian read aloud. Fitting name for your mum. But what is my mother doing in Connecticut, Max asked. Why didn't she go back to Nibiru with the rest of them when they left? Ian shrugged. Well, I guess you can go ask her. You have her address. The realization shocked Max. For some reason, it hadn't even occurred to him yet that he could actually go up there and find the answers to that and many other questions. I have an address, Max repeated. You're right, I can just go up there. Maybe that was where his younger self and Petunia had gone. Up to see Mom. To see Miss Starry, who lived in Connecticut. But then he pushed the idea away. It was wrong. He felt it instinctively. His younger self would have certainly taken this very slip of paper with him, and he would have told Dunkirk where he was going. Now, I have a question for ye, Dunkirk said more seriously. I watched over ye a long time. I saved your life. And I knew I wasn't being told everything, but I kept my peace. Will you tell me now? About the machine. About you. Max and Ian exchanged glances. You're right. I owe you some sort of explanation. 
I can tell you some of it, Max replied. But not all of it. Not everything. For example, I can't tell you what happens to me in the future, in my time. That would possibly be dangerous, leaving that knowledge here in the past with anyone. And some of it, well, some of it I don't know myself. But I will tell you a story about a world called Nibiru, about something that happened a long time ago. Hours later, Max and Ian took their leave of Dunkirk. Max gave the captain the address of the house, or rather, the buildings on either side, and Dunkirk promised to come if young Max and Petunia returned. In the meantime, Max took the piece of paper with Miss Starry's address with him, folded it, and placed it in his pocket like a long-lost treasure. The next day, Dr. Gustav and Max continued their lessons. But Gustav was in no mood to be trifled with today. Instantly, Max knew that something unusual was afoot. So, Gustav began without preamble, why do you fail? You are at once the most promising and most miserable student I have ever tried to teach. Max shrugged in inner agony. I don't know. I try to do the things that you... No, Gustav snapped. That is not why. Try again. Max pondered the question. This time he tried to be more honest with himself. I'm afraid that I will... Stop! Gustav bellowed. Max winced. You've hit on it, Gustav said. Max looked bewildered. He hadn't actually said anything yet. Your inner mind did, though. Gustav replied to his unspoken thought. You are afraid. With a split second you opened yourself, the answer came shrieking out of you. The honest answer. The right answer. I'm afraid, Max repeated. Yes, Gustav affirmed. You are. You are afraid of succeeding. I don't know why. Maybe it's your cryptomnesia. Who knows? Gustav sighed and looked at him deeply. Max, listen. Subconsciously, you are resisting. You are refusing, sabotaging yourself. Your conscious mind desires this power, but there is some very real and very deep-seated fear in you, on a soul level, if you will. You actually don't want to succeed here. Max nodded slowly. He had to admit it. That felt like the correct answer. But what did it mean? Why would he be fighting this? Could it be the same reason he always asked Mr. E to erase his memory whenever he learned his secret? Was it that terrible? That dangerous? You must move past your fear. Fear is your enemy. If you are to succeed, Master Quick, that is what you will have to learn to overcome. Max nodded. But in truth, his lack of progress was making him more afraid than ever before. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this patio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book One, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book Two, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover. <laughs>